So since the time that it was originally reported about the uh, Fox News Christmas tree being set on fire, I haven't really paid that much attention to the story, the ongoing story, but I believe that they uh, caught the person who did it. But again, I haven't really heard uh, anything about about him or tried to find out about him for that, that matter. But as I was writing this sermon, I got to thinking, wouldn't it be ironic if the arsonist was a Christian? For all the focus that there is on liberal, leftist, atheist, secularist, Presbyterian leading the war on Christmas, the truth, truth is that there are a lot of Christians who would like to radically change the way Christmas is celebrated in the U.S. There are Christians who are deeply disturbed by the commercialization of Christmas, who are adamant that true disciples of Jesus should not participate in the worldly festi festivities. Christians who will readily remind us that most of what we see and do at Christmas is pagan in origin. Christmas, uh, Christians who will readily remind us that Christmas trees themselves are a tradition that was co-opted by Christians from pagans. And that to set up a Christmas tree, especially in the sanctuary, is basically to participate with demons. And there are likely, I haven't heard anybody come out and express it, but I would bet you that there are extremist Christians who believe that whoever it was that set fire to that fox Christmas tree was doing the Lord's work in destroying the pagan symbol. I have an alibi for that night. It wasn't me. But I will admit that I went through a phase early in my Christian life where I was pretty disturbed at the massive commercialization of the holiday and disappointed with the predominance of, of symbols that had nothing to do with Jesus. I had a phase when I felt too many Christians had given in to the ways of the world. But these days, years down the road, I have a more nuanced understanding, some might say mature. Certainly, many of the aspects of the celebration can be taken to excess and become unmoored from the anchor. Still, I think that the vast majority of what we see and do at Christmas, the lights, the gifts, the parties, explodes out of the sheer joy and good news of the coming to God on earth in Jesus. No matter what the origin of many of the symbols, at this point, woven through the symbols and the festivities is the story of the incarnation, God taking on flesh and blood. Amen. For those of you who are on the live stream and can't hear it, we, we didn't prop the windows open properly, so every now and then there's a, the wind will catch it. Bang! But at Christmas time, 
again, woven through all of these symbols and festivities is the reason that we celebrate, which is the gift that Jesus is to the whole world. We celebrate that in Jesus we receive both light and life. This morning, like last week, uh, we are looking at some of the opening verses of the good news about Jesus, as recorded by John. In our scripture this morning, John asserts that the true light that gives light to every man and woman was coming into the world. In part, this coming into the world includes the event behind our celebration of Christmas, Jesus' birth from his mother Mary. As we heard last week, we are celebrating that God became flesh and blood and pitched a tent among us. For John, this was a blazing forth of the light of God in a whole new way, and that's why John describes Jesus as the true light. Leslie Newbigin, who uh, was formerly the Bishop of South India, helps us understand what John is saying here. For John, Jesus is the true light. There is no other light. There's only one light which enables us to see things as they really are. And things really are as they are shown to be in the light of Jesus, because Jesus is the word through whom all other lights came to be. There is a fresh (coughs) creative act when in a world that is in darkness because men and women have turned away from the one true light, let there be light is spoken again. And men and women turn to the light and become children of the light. Now, there is one respect in which God's light had already been given as a gift to the whole world. Again, John writes that the true light that gives light to every human being, man and woman, was coming coming into the world. That part about giving light to everyone is important. In verse 10, John reminds us that he was in the world and though the world was made through him. John reminds us that the word made, so the, the true light was a part of the whole creation from the very beginning. In fact, he uses the word cosmos came into the cosmos, and though the whole cosmos was created through this light of God, this word of God, it was already a part of of everything we know. Therefore, the literal and figurative light that is at work in the cosmos in every way in the present and is present to all and is a present to all was already in the world. 
Dale Bruner, former uh, professor at Whitworth, writes, that phrase, which enlightens every man and woman, describes the universal extent of the light's action. The words must be taken simply as they stand. No person is wholly destitute of the illumination of the light. In nature, in life, and in our conscience, it makes itself felt in various degrees to all. However, with the birth of Jesus, specifically, the light has dawned in a whole new way. This is the fulfillment of that beautiful passage, this vision that Isaiah was given centuries before Jesus was actually born. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, the light has dawned. God has enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Again, think of all that is what we celebrate in Christmas. As people rejoice in the harvest, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the end of peace. There will be no end of peace that he brings. Where am I? I got all excited after that. But some chose at the time and some choose not to receive the gift. Verses 10 and 11 of our passage, John again says, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I agree with Dale Bruner in, in that the, the phrase here, I believe, his own means to all people, to all human beings. He came to the world, but the world didn't recognize him. Merrill Tenney, who was a former professor at Wheaton, puts it this way. I think it's important for us. The world as a system had no comprehension of the manifested word and no place for him. So many refused to receive the gift that is Jesus, and many still do, but not all. Some, John proclaims, accepted the gift. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. Notice the intimate connection between the idea of believing in and receiving. To those who believed in excuse me, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In verse 13, John reminds us that this is pure grace, that this is a gift, a full, completely un, uh, unearned gift from God. There are these three not buys. Children born not by natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will. And literally in the Greek there, not by this, not by this, not by this. There are various uh, interpretations of, of what the variety of 
things are being talked about. But there's universal agreement on the main point in, in John saying this. The main point is that Jesus is a gift. Jesus is a gift not only of true light, but also true life. He, became, he gave us the right to become children of God. The life that Jesus gives to us is so different from what we have known, it amounts to being reborn. No matter what our age, we become children of God when we receive Christ. We hear John overwhelmed by this thought again in that letter that we wrote, that we heard what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We are called children of God. That's who we really are. Children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up, it will, but it will be in the fullness of Jesus. And that extends even farther, the, the impact the, of that gift. Becoming children of God means that we also become a part of a family. We have sisters and brothers around the world. I've had the experience of being able to enter sanctuaries in, in places where I don't even speak the language, language, and yet I know I'm welcomed as a member of the family. Through Christ, we are all sisters and brothers. And so Dale Bruner sums up for us the glory of the words that we hear this morning from John. Finally, the privilege of becoming the very children of God is the beckoning promise of the gospel to all who are simple believers in Jesus's reality. An almost unimaginable adoption and regeneration for such an incredibly simple price, he puts in quote, or decision. The phrase, the children of God, signifies the members of the dearly loved family of the great God, an almost unspeakable privilege when one stops to think of it. The Reformation recaptured the thrill of this being dearly loved for such a little price on our part. At Christmas, we celebrate this gift that Jesus is to the whole world. We celebrate that in Jesus we receive both light and life. So rather than bemoaning all the excess of this time of year or burning all the pagan symbols, maybe we can see in the lights strung on strands along rooftops or around trees a sparkling reminder of the true light that has come into the world. Maybe we can receive and give gifts as small reminders of the gift that God has given the world in Jesus. Maybe we can enjoy parties and dinners and special times with friends as reminders that God wants no one lonely. We are made to be in relationships and through Christ, we are all welcomed into one family as God's children. At Christmas, we celebrate the good news 
that is the gift that God has given to the world in Jesus. In Christ, we receive the true light and life. Thanks be to God.